Hello, you're listening to the Australian Organic Collective podcast. I'm Jane Cudahy. Kyala Pure Organics is one of Australia's original organic grain processors, the long-standing commitment to produce a real difference in our communities by making delicious, healthy food possible through a sustainable and transparent food chain. Quinton and Michelle Kennedy are leading the charge, ensuring the business keeps innovation at the top of their agenda and incorporating traceability into every part of their business. With a product range that continues to grow with market demand, the passion the couple have for not only their company, but what it supplies to people's pantries is testament to their commitment to the Australian organic sector. Yeah, so Kyala was founded by one of the sort of the pioneer organic farmers um, in Australia and that that kicked off um, well, back in 1988 where, where he just started value adding you know his organic wheat crop in, in the back shed you know putting it through an old stone mill milling some flour and starting to sell it locally and and you know it's, it's grown since then you know to supplying bulk flour and retail flour as well as we we do value added blends into the bakery sector food manufacturing and and retail both domestic and internationally it it certainly played a key role in the organic movement in Australia um in that well, one where where the original one of the original organic certified processes and back in the day they they held a field day at Kyala Farms where the the original mill was and this is in south east queensland too quinton isn't it? we didn't really set the scene so you are down south yes yes so greenmount which is just um about 10 minutes south of Toowoomba Okay, so yep, you were all out there. Let's go back to that because it was a really significant field day. I think you know they must have organised it as just more of a general interest, but it really um, was something significant, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think you know expecting forty or fifty farmers to show up, you know that mm-hmm. that sort of a thing. It was it was very very early in the organic farming revolution, if you will. You know, as um, as the day progressed, the, the, there was a, a massive traffic jam in Greenmount, and there was over a thousand people showed up. You know, to to talk with, um, where I, I think it was at a must have been at a watershed moment in in the organic industry. You know, people were just really sick and tired, possibly of that commodity play. You know, the boom and the bust, and and we're looking at new ways and and new ideas. So. Yeah, over a thousand people showed up to sort of network and and share ideas, and um, maybe it's a bit like the Woodstock of the organic industry, I think. <laughs> and I guess I'm just not sure about the drugs. No, well, I was about to say, and I guess the scones would have run out at one t- at some stage there too. Usually, a field day has a pretty good smoko, but that <laughs> might have <laughs> yeah. run out. Yes. So why do you think, like you said, a watershed moment, but, um, you know, that that's quite significant. Did that momentum continue after that with that level of interest? Yeah, well, I think it gave sort of those early pioneers the confidence that they were really onto something of interest to, to both the, 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 the farmers but also the consumers. You could you could say the the birthplace of um, BFA Biological Farmers of Australia, which is the predecessor to today's Australian Organic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because those those founders or the drivers behind that field day were the the founders of BFA and were on the on the first board of directors and you know I think it gave them the confidence to to say well okay we're we're really we've we've got something here and we're going to um you know to continue to drive this thing that has since become known as the organic industry now you know I, I, I'm assuming, but I'm fairly confident in my assumption that you weren't there in that original um, field day and Kayala is something that you and your wife, Michelle, have come on board with since. So how did you first become involved in the business and what did it look like when you first took it on? Yeah, so my background is actually um, sheep and cattle and i um from Western Queensland, from Winton. So All the I would have been, are, yeah. I would have been dealing with... Um, with the the um, droughts and so on of of Western Queensland around that same time, I was running our family property there during the you know the great wool boom of the of the late eighties mm. when you know Australia was riding on the sheep's back, and then of course I I then w- witnessed the bust of it all in the early nineteen nineties when we were basically shooting sheep because they they were they were almost worthless. So I always felt there was just a better way than you know, that commodity play. A couple of years after that, so in sort of early 1990s, I, I went back to um, uni and got a degree in agribusiness and that opened my eyes to, <clears throat> I guess, you know, market cycles, market dynamics, who holds the market power and how and all of that sort of thing. And so I was just getting increasingly interested in sort of niche markets and, and how they might work and what's their sustainable advantage. Concurrent to that, Michelle, my wife, and I had issues becoming pregnant. And one of the piece of advice was to remove or, or you know, stop consuming products that may have chemicals in them. So I guess that was our, you know, that was pretty early early days in the industry known as organic. So we um, we we got increasingly more interested in in organic for for that was probably one of the driving reasons following me finishing at um uni the the opportunity came up to join what was then BFA which yeah as as your listeners may be aware um is now Australian Organic mm. and I thought well there's no better way to learn about an industry than to um you know to run one of the one of the businesses that is it was then back then it was a certifier as well as a lobbying body so you know, it gave me a really good understanding and and network within the within the organic industry. And I guess you know when something, you know, the reason behind all this was was based on something very personal and around health. And I think that makes you a lot more passionate about it too, and, and a real drive behind it. So I'm I'm sure they would have been very happy to take you on. Yeah, well, I didn't. <laughs> I, I probably didn't give them that that part of the story. <laughs> no, that's only something that comes in hindsight and time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I think um, the organic industry is filled with many stories mm. like ours. You mm. know, people that are passionate for a variety of different reasons. And I've always thought, you know, you you don't join the organic industry, you know, because you're going to make more money. You know, it's it's not about that. Although that that's got to be important. It's got to you know that drives professionalism and drives market development and all of that. But you've also got to have a bit of passion, and you know, it's a mix of a variety of different things. And um, you know, during the time with BFA talking to farmers and that sort of thing, 
you know, it was real. The ones who were successful in the longer term were the guys who who had that passion to do that, and the, they just wanted to stop the use of chemicals on their farm. They had personal stories, you know, whether it was cancer scares or or, or you know whatever it might be, or just being sick of you know the smell of chemical and all of that sort of thing. So there's always a variety of different reasons why people um, get into the organic industry. So going back to Kyala, what what exactly are you producing or doing there and how have you changed it over your time? Yeah, so the opportunity came up for us to buy into Kyala in, in 2006 and we were able to make that happen, which was, um, yeah, such a, a, a great thing for us. Um you know, basically, there's there's two parts to our business: Kyala Pure Foods, which which does all the human consumption product, and then Oz Organic Feeds, which basically had its origins, you know, value adding the byproduct from the flour milling business into certified organic stock feeds. Um, but Kyala mills about 20 different grains and takes them to all stages of value add, whether it's um, just selling bulk grain to manufacturers or whether it's um, milling that primarily wheat is probably 60% of what we do. So milling wheat into flour that goes into the manufacturing bakery, bakery sector or then also, we, we do value-added products such as pancake mixes, bread mixes, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's quite an amazing array of products. So what are some of the, the ones that you're most proud of? What are your little well, I, you know, you're, you're proud of all the, all the products you make, I guess. But, um, you know, I just love talking to bakers who swear by the performance and taste of our flour. And um, it's, it's an intangible thing. I mean, we don't... Well, we don't over-process the product. So I guess that might be what we add to it, or it's it's more about what we don't do it than what we do do to it, if you get what I mean. I yeah. think, you know, but you start with a basic, you know, good organic product, it, it flows through. But a big favourite of mine is probably our pancake mix, mm-hmm. because mainly, you know, it was, it was one of the first new products I instigated at, at Koala, and which was no great invention. I mean, really, I just looked at, you know, what conventional flour-based products seemed to sell well, and then made made a, you know knocked it off using mm. using organic ingredients. But <laughs> it's now one of our biggest sellers in retail. It's ranged in Costco, Japan, Costco Australia, and you know, and as well as all good organic shops. But yeah, it's a great tasting product, and yeah, probably got a bit of a special place in my heart because of um, yeah, it was it was probably the first one we we tried. And I guess do you have pancakes every Sunday at your house? Then yes, we yeah. do. We <laughs> eat quite a few of them. <laughs> Excellent. What are some of the buying trends you've seen over time? You mentioned that that one's probably a, a more conventional one, but have there been some you know um, interesting kind of trends that you've noticed? Well, we've got the you know the gluten free trend and and um, but I think an overarching one, you know, specifically for the organic consumer is they're increasingly discerning. You know, whether it's about the packaging or the convenience the product brings, or 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 the you know the quality aspects of it. You know, there was a time when. You know, you go and buy an organic apple or if it had a grub in it, you just go, oh, well, it's organic, that's fine. But, you know, that's no longer good enough. As with any 
industry that matures and grows over time, you've got to make sure you, you're, you're producing a quality product for the consumer because they're paying um, they're paying top dollar for it. So you want to make sure that you know the eating experience is um, is is up with the best of them. You mentioned the gluten-free trend just then, and as flour producers, that would hit home pretty hard. How do how have you managed that? Well, unfortunately, we can't claim gluten-free in our business because we're we're a um, wheat mill, yes. um, and unfortunately, again, the Australian standards around claiming gluten-free are very very tight. The rest of the world will accept. 20 parts per million of gluten in a product and you can still claim gluten-free. But in Australia, gluten-free means exactly that, you know, a, a, um, a nil detectable, which is around about five parts per million. So we, we do mill gluten-free grains and so we promote them as such. So we mm. don't promote that they are gluten-free, but that the product is milled from gluten-free grains. And it's a, it's sort of a growing space. I, the, the, the regulations make it very hard because then the consumer is a bit confused, you know. They, you, can't, yeah, you can't give the consumer a clear message. So how do you rationalise that and the regulations around gluten-free and, and the fact that you are producing that product, really, but it's very hard to to manage the labelling around that to how organics regulation currently is, where well, there isn't really any. Yeah, well, I, I guess it's the problem, you know, that, that the organic industry is facing a little bit because, um, you know, with the lack of domestic regulation, you know, we're increasingly seeing more and more greenwash claims, you know, whether it's a claim of sustainable or natural or eco. You know, what do these words really mean and what do they stand for? And, I I'm I don't know exactly what they stand for. So if someone gives me a sustainable product, I don't know exactly what that means and I'm closer to this than most people. So I think it really confuses the issue um for the consumer to have um you know, to understand those claims. So that's that's why I think it's it's critical that, you know, the claim of certified organic needs to get um, in, a, in a domestic sense, needs to get recognition via regulation. You know, I find it incredible that, you know, we have organic regulation on our exports, but not in our domestic market. You know, it's almost as if sort of the, the government says, oh, well, as long as we're, we're telling the truth to our export markets, it doesn't matter about the domestic population. <laughs> They'll take what they can get. It seems to be a bit back to front. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense when you've just rattled off all of the other regulations that you have to adhere to. But do you think this is one of those ones where the, the discerning consumer really needs to sort of pick up the ball and run with it a bit, or has this got to come from industry? I think it's probably a combination of both. I mean, having sort of been involved at an industry level, I know it's always a hard sell or it's a it's a long, hard road to educate people um, what certified organic really means. And then alongside them, in, in the instance of uh, as, as currently where we have no regulation over organic domestically so you, you're sort of battling an education process where the rules aren't really clear mm. um, which makes it um, makes it difficult to get cut through of, of your message.
And so I guess, you know, you, you operate both internationally and domestically. How does it affect you on an everyday basis? If we had domestic regulation, um, it would make it so much easier at you know, the next the next step after that is then equivalency with with different markets. So I'm not sure what you know about equivalency internationally, but but you have different countries who have different standards. So what that means for us is that one, we need to segregate products that aren't certified. You know, so Korea, for instance, we've got to the the grower has to be Korean certified. We're Korean certified. And so if we can't source grain from a Korean certified grower, we miss out on that business opportunity. Mm. Um, and it's all just marks on pieces of paper, really, because the standards are no different. Wow. Um, so that internationally, international equivalency piece is would be a massive advancement, I believe, for our export markets because it just removes another layer of complexity and and at the end of the day it's it's bureaucracy really because we we meet the same standards internationally it's just about a specific tick in the box for a given country that's right so it's not good enough to just be an australian product that is internationally renowned for being clean green and a, quali- a high quality you've got to actually be every individual country accredited as well. Yeah. So can a grower yeah. be, you know, American, Korean and China accredited? You can have Yes. Multiple, yeah. Yeah. And it what what happens is there's such a high opportunity cost because, you know, unless we've got grain on hand that is certified specifically to those countries, mm. we miss out on that business. Now Obviously, we, we we try and do that, but then it has a production issue for us. You know, we've got to store that grain separately if it doesn't have all the certifications, or you know, so from a from a there's a production cost impost, there's a there's a market opportunity cost impost. So it's it has a real flow-on effect. The lack of international equivalency. Domestic regulation will be sort of one step that that assists in one day gaining that equivalency. You've kind of taken things uh, on board yourselves through your farm to plate tracker to a degree. That's more sort of um, um, traceability, but that marries up with that whole concept anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, well... I guess the the orange origins of our plate to farm tracker was was um, just trying to to give the um, consumer the story of where their food comes from. So storytelling you know, they, and traceability marrying in with all of the different <laughs> countries yeah. and accreditations that you need to to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. So we're collecting that data anyway. But I, I guess we we sort of view it that we're not just putting flour in a packet. You know, we're working with the farmers. We're sourcing the best quality. We're storing it, we're milling it, we're packing it off. So I guess, you know, I guess you could say we're putting love into it all the way along the process. It's for us, it's not just about buying something and sticking it in the packet. We're we're doing more than that, and we're we're reasonably unique in that space. Um, in that, you know, some other brands just well buy from us and stick it in their packet, whereas we're we're involved in that whole. Um, process, you know, our mills located out in the country, not in some big industrial estate in a capital city, sort of dis disjointed from where all the hard work really happens, which is on the farm and you know on the soils of the Darling Downs, so to speak. So 
we we recognised that people were very interested in the story of their food, and via our plate to farm tracker, we're just trying to tell that story. Um, you know, they can do a virtual tour of our mill, and they can virtually meet the farmer via our farm to plate tracker system. And what what has the feedback to that been like? How long have you been using it? Um, well, it's been oh, we we first started that system probably six six years ago. Ages ago. So yeah, no, you would have had quite a bit of feedback by now. So has it been pretty well received? Yeah. Well, I think you know we certainly didn't shut YouTube down by people <laughs> um, people viewing the videos, but I think what it gives the people is that sense of confidence. You know, we're we're very transparent in um in where we source our grains and what we do with them. So people people gain a level of confidence. Not so much that they've actually watched the video, but they know it's there and they 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 I suppose get an understanding that hey, we're we're a very open book about what we do here. There's no sort of smoke and mirrors or, or anything because that the batch numbering system we need to implement in order to be compliant with organic actually is is what drives that farm to plate tracker system. So unlike some systems where you know they put a photo of a farmer on a bag of carrots and say, oh, you know, Fred grows carrots for us, they don't specifically say Fred has grown these carrots in this bag, but we can do that. So we can actually track. And, and via the batch number system, you will see the three or four farmers whose grain, because we always need to blend grain in many cases. So it's three or four farmers who might be in a grain blend, which is in that packet. Now, this we had talked about this a little bit earlier, and you said that it was actually the, the farmers that really enjoyed it as well. It wasn't just the consumers who got their warm and fuzzy story that it worked in reverse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, farmers take a lot of pride in in growing a crop and making it. You know, trying to 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 get the best quality and the least amount of weeds in it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They sell it at the farm gate, and particularly with a with a um, a product like wheat. I mean, they they that's that that's where it ends for them. But by the plate to farm tracker, you know, they can they can um, you know have a sense that. People are recognising their efforts further down the track. And plus, I mean, it's amazing to take a farmer a bag of flour and be able to tell them that it contains their wheat, you know. It, it mm. gives them a real sense of pride and accomplishment. I think, you know, and we we undervalue that a lot of the times with, with producers and farmers as well. Do you think that's becoming a little bit more uh, into the limelight at the moment, is appreciating exactly where our food comes from or is that something that the the organics industry has done very well for a very long time oh, i it, it's it's certainly been what has driven people it's it's one of the aspects that drives people's uh, purchase of organic i think it's in the top 5 of consumer behaviors if you look at the you know the the organic market report data that knowing knowing where their food comes from is um is one of the top purchase drivers um and that's that was sort of one of the yeah as i say the driving force or the driving reason behind us developing that um farm to plate tracker system so we could we could give people that story Kyala really you must really enjoy that storytelling process 
process though because even on your website just with the various blog posts and Q&As with various industry representatives you do spend a lot of time effort and money communicating all aspects of your business why was that such an important thing for you well it's about transparency you know as, as I said before you know we we're an open book and we want to give the consumer the sense that we we we're happy to tell the story um, we want to tell the story of their food. That's that's their expect, expectation. They want to know the story of the food, and we're happy to tell it. And and um, you know we're not um, we're not hiding anything. It's a it's a it's a process that that we're happy to to let them have a look at. Um, and you know a, a, probably a shout out to my sister Sharon who is a, a um, she loves nothing better than researching so she writes a lot of our blog posts online and and she um, burrows down into the detail and and um, you know so she sort of drives a lot of that stuff oh great well it, it is really a family business isn't it so you've got your sister involved as well yes yes she does she's our communications cultivator we call her <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So what's next? What's on the horizon for Kayala? We've just listed off any number of things you've been working on and that um have that you're very proud of over the last while. So what's what's on the horizon? Well, we've um undergone a very significant change in this last sort of 12 to 18 months. You know, driven prim- historically 80% of our volume was um, bulk flour and 20% was into retail. And just with the ongoing droughts and supply issues, um, there's no point in basing a business on bulk when you can't source enough grain. Um, so we've had a real, um, I suppose, turnaround in our business or a change of focus in our business to move more to that value-adding um, retail side of it because it doesn't require big bulk lots anymore. But, I mean, obviously we're not going to turn our back on the bulk side, but but where our focus is now is on more of the retail products and more value-added multi-ingredient products. So we're, we've, we've just recently, in the last couple of months, relaunched all of our branding, um, all of our retail packaging, so completely new branding, new packaging formats, and we're betting that in at the moment and have also launched a, a number of new value-added products like our protein smoothie base and we're going to be launching um, bread mixes and overnight oats or oat mix products. So quite an exciting time for Kyala in terms of reinventing itself in that retail space. And when you have those multi-ingredient uh, products that you just mentioned, is that is that more difficult to certify organic? Yeah, well, again, um, particularly into that export market because all of those ingredients have to have that end export market um, um, certification. But domestically, as long as you can source certified organic ingredients, it's it's reasonably um, it's reasonably straightforward. There's obviously, you know, from a um, from a recipe development point of view, you know, there's some challenges around you know sourcing the right ingredients and ensuring you know they perform. It's always 
yeah, challenges around that supply side, but but certainly as again as the market grows and builds, there's there's more um, ingredients available. Are there enough growers with the diversity that you need? There's never enough growers when when there's a bad season. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. There's always opportunity for um, for growers, you know, particularly in our, in that broadacre grain sector, and and we're we're working or we're we're certainly trying to to develop and and create pathways for growers to come through the certification process because it's a it's a it's a fairly difficult thing to convert from conventional farming to organic farming, and and so in order to support them, we we market products as in conversion to organic mm-hmm. and um, that that means we can then pay that farmer a premium for his in conversion grain right because his he... or hers yep. in conversion grain and that that assists them because if you're if you're producing organically and selling into the conventional market yeah there's not a lot of fun there Mm. Um, and that's what a grower's got to do for that first three years, unless we can develop a market for in conversion. So that's that's important um, that that people do support in conversion to organic products because then it it helps bring more supply, um, more regular supply through the through the chain, and helps a farmer convert from conventional practices to organic. And you know that's a long term commitment too. So yeah. they're not going to pull out halfway normally. No, that's right. And it's not easy. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, Quentin Kennedy, thank you so much for your time today and um, and being on our Australian Organic Collective podcast. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Jane. No It's worth checking out Kyala Pure Organics' website. They've got plenty of incredible information, interviews and stories to tell. So you'll find it at all the W's, kyalafoods.com.au. Kyala is spelt K-I-A-L-L-A, so kyalafoods.com.au. Thanks for listening, and if you've got a minute, please rate and review this podcast wherever you've downloaded it, or go to our website, ostorganic.com, that's Ost for Australia, A-U-S-T. And by the way, as we continue to push forward for mandatory domestic organic standards in Australia, remember to always look for a certification mark when purchasing an organic product. (music) 